Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. Our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football, and this is really for you to be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan, something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar and full contact and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model at usafootball.com backslash FDM. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast with the time we have now, it's a great time to catch up with people, and uh, I love this opportunity I get to catch up with a friend, uh, somebody I've coached with before. He's the offensive line coach at St. Thomas in Miami, an NAIA program, and I'm happy to have him here, Coach Tony Niemeyer. Tony, great to be talking with you. Keith, it's great to be here, man. Like you said, anytime you can kind of double this thing up and catch up and talk with a good friend, and you know we've known each other for a long time now, so... It's uh, great to be on the podcast, and we've talked about this for a long time, so I'm glad we can make it happen. Yeah, I think I, I first met you, Tony, when you were an intern at a, another startup program. I think you were part of the startup there, I, be, I believe, at Notre Dame College or very early in in program, and I don't know how far out of college you had been, but that was our, our first meeting in, in South Euclid. Yeah, that was uh, – I, I got there um, – March of 2010, so not right when they started it up, but still kind of on the, on the ground floor. They had played kind of a developmental season, eight games from what I remember, and, you know, still we're still fully building it. So we got there. I got there right before the first varsity season, and I was one year out of college. I played and graduated from uh, Wabash College in 2008 was my last football season, graduated in May of 2009, and then coached at Wabash for that season following my graduation, the 2009 season, and, you know, everything kind of went from there, so. Yeah, it was, it's was. it been fun to watch you grow from, you know, being an intern there to, to where you're at now as the offensive line coach at St. Thomas, which is a scholarship program in Miami, Florida, and I'm, I'm jealous of you for that, but, you know, you look at that, another guy who was was there in that program and an intern with you is Mickey Mennel, who's now the head coach at Notre Dame College. Yeah, it, it, it's unreal. Mickey and I were GAs or interns together, whatever you want to call it, and, you know, became really good. You know, he, I consider him one of my closest friends. 
uh, not just in coaching, but overall. Any Anytime, you know, when you start a program up, small school in general, you have to wear so many different hats and you do so many different things, but it's, you know, it's only magnified when you're starting it from scratch. And our, you know, obviously our head coach, Bill Reichel here at St. Thomas, he was the offensive coordinator at uh, Notre Dame College and we got it going. And all of us kind of collectively joked, you know, there's no way we'll ever start a football program up again. But obviously, you know, we, we <laughs> you get an opportunity to start one down here in Miami with the talent and, uh, you know, the weather's not a bad benefit to being down here either. But with all, and then having the right president in place and some of the resources that the university already has, it was, you know, a no-brainer for us. But if you look at that original staff and kind of a couple of the add-ons to that Notre Dame College staff over the last few years, you know, Mickey's obviously the head coach now. Bill became the head coach at Notre Dame College and is now the head coach down here. E.J. Whitlow, who I know you've had on your podcast, E.J.'s a Division One defensive line coach at Miami, Ohio. You know, I've obviously, you know, I, I – left NBC and started working with you at Baldwin Wallace. Uh, that was my first full-time gig. Like, as you said, now the offensive line coach down here recently kind of promoted the offensive coordinator through the spring and, and, and through the fall. And, you know, if you go down the list, I mean, Alex Gray came in there as a defensive backs coach. He's now our defensive coordinator down here. Mike Jacobs came in as a defensive line coach. Mike Jacobs became the head coach there, won a ton of games, and is now the head coach at Lenore Ryan. Caleb Padilla was a defensive coordinator. He's now a Division three head coach. So if, if, if you look at, you know, the development out of that, out of those early staffs there, we've had quite a few guys go on and have, have success at a lot of different levels. And I think it's because, again, you got to do so many different things in there. And we all kind of just took the approach that, you know, there's nothing in here is going to be easy, but it's all going to be worth it. And we've all, you know, stayed really, really close friends. I think most importantly, with really strong relationships throughout the years, you know, we can call it, call each other and, and, and pick up things at the drop of a hat. But, you know, part of that is because of the, all the work we had to put in there. But when you look at the uh, amount of success that came out of that one small startup program, uh, and it's now kind of spread out across the country, it's pretty impressive to look at that. We were talking about that the other day, actually. Yeah. And, and, and a guy, I think we have to mention this, this is a guy who really did the heavy lifting and, and getting Notre Dame College going. He's he's now an athletic director here in our area and able to spend uh, more time with his kids. But Adam Howard did an incredible job. Started at, at or right before that, I should say, was at Baldwin Wallace College at the time. It's university now as a defensive coordinator, did an outstanding job there and then got the opportunity to start things up at Notre Dame College. Exactly. You know, Adam's a fantastic coach. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Uh, Adam is someone who I owe a lot to in that, you know, he hired, so as I said, I, you know, played at Wabash College, graduated and coached there for a season. And then uh, the guy who was the head coach there my senior year, Eric Rayburn, he kind of brought me into the office one day and he said, hey, you know, I've got a, a former player of mine from Mount Union who is, he's at a startup program in Cleveland. He needs an O-line GA and I want you to go and interview with him and we've kind of set it up and he sent me over there, and uh, that's when I met Bill and Adam and everybody. And, uh, you know, they hired me after the interview. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, get away from where I played and was familiar with, meet new people, expand my network, and learn a new way of doing things. You know, obviously at a place like Wabash that had been extremely successful playing football for over 125 years, it was, you know, and it's a completely different uh, circumstance in terms of recruiting to a school like that. You know, I, I went to NBC and it was it was totally a totally different atmosphere, which was really good for me as a young coach to kind of get away from what I knew early on, you know, and not kind of be stuck in the mold of just 
this is how we do things at Wabash, so this is how I'm going to do things forever. You know, and it's sometimes when you're around that stuff and you're really successful for a long time with anything, it's hard to break the mold on it. So I was really lucky to be able to kind of take off to a different spot early in my career um, and be challenged and, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a new area. And by someone like Adam, who is incredibly demanding as a head coach, even, you know, when you're a graduate assistant, I think in a lot of places, you're kind of brought in and, and kind of, you know, handheld and walked along. I think the thing that he did best and the reason why you know, a lot of us have been successful is number one, I think he did a great job in identifying coaching talent. The number one thing he looked for was guys that just worked hard and had an edge to them more so than anything, you know, anything else he figured he could teach you how to do it. But if you could come in and you could work hard and you had a little bit of an edge to you, and that's what we wanted. We wanted young, you know, young competitive guys. And if, if you look at it, that those early years, I mean, we didn't have a single person on our staff older than 40 years. You know, we were a young staff. We were fun. We had a lot of fun together. We were really competitive. But what they did was it wasn't, you know, hey, sit back and watch and then jump in. It was, hey, man, you're coming in and you're coaching a position and you're recruiting an, an area and you're going to be held responsible to it. And guess what? You've got to run the equipment room on the side and you've got to make sure the laundry's done and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, but I, I really value that. You know, I came in and it was, you know, and really, you know, I owe a lot to Bill, too, in my development as a coach is that it wasn't like, hey, go set up the cones for the next drill. It was you have to, you know take on and, and lead a position and you're going to have to run some meetings and do all those kind of things, you know? So uh, doing that early on as a coach, it, it helps you on the back end, you know, in terms of you, you actually have to come up with a, your own philosophy on certain things. You're not kind of just relying on, well, the guy who I GA for, he does everything and I kind of sit back and, and watch, you know, I think that's uh, that some places I think you kind of get that. And for me, I'm forever thankful that, and we kind of got thrown into the fire as young coaches, and you had to, you had to again do do everything. You know, you had to coach a position, recruit, do all the stuff off the field, and and do it right. You know, and do it the right way. So that was uh, an eye opener for me, and I think that's kind of how I continue to work with. You know, we have young GAs on our staff, and it's 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 the same way. They're uh, you know they have to come in and manage a position, and we're going to ask them to do a million things, but at the end of the day. At most places, when you're a grad assistant, you don't get to recruit your own area and you don't get to, you know, run a position group yourself. So they're really, you know, it's our job as full-time coaches to continually develop them as young coaches, but they have to get that stuff going right away, you know. And that's kind of, you know, it's, I, I think to me that's why there's a lot of value in working at a small school at some point, at least when, you know, when, when you're coming up through the ranks a little bit. Um, and I think it shows, uh, you know, when I was – so I guess, you know, I guess we talked through the history of it. I was at Notre Dame College for three years as we got that program going off the ground. And we had, you know, moderate success as we were going and, and building it. And uh, then my first full-time job, which, again, I owe a lot to Adam for this, too, is that, as you said, Adam was at Baldwin Wallace. Um, and then uh, you guys had an offensive line job open. And Adam really, you know, he pushed uh, me to the head coach pretty hard and, and to you guys. And obviously, you know, I had to come in and sit through one of those famous 15-hour interviews that you guys were running at BW at the time and made it through and was fortunate enough to get the job at a, at a great school with, uh, you know, a good, good group of guys on the staff. And, you know, I was only there for one year, but we had a pretty good year offensively. I think back then we were kind of on the, you know, we were doing the, a lot of stuff that people weren't with we the one word plays and uh, you know, a lot of the differing read option things that people are doing now that we, we can get into some of that later if you want to, but that was a fun time for us. You know, I think as an offensive line guy, yeah, it was. Yeah. 
it, it was uh, the the running game was was uh, really solid for us, and I believe that year we, we stepped into a situation where we had um, a big quarterback competition at in camp, three guys kind of going neck and neck, and we had to sort it out. And then as it sorted out and we started to settle in, we had injuries hit, and we ended up using all three of those guys that year. And, and more than anything, you know, in kind of uh, the the demand of our, our head coach too, we we. You know, we found a way to run the football regardless. I mean, there were teams who looked like, I mean, not look like they did have, you know, 11 guys up within 10 yards of the ball. And, you know, we're still still running the ball effectively with some of the creative things we did with personnel and motion and being able to uh, use formation to our advantage to still get the numbers we needed on the interior of it to run the football. Yeah, and, you know, I think we averaged 275 yards a game rushing that year. And I'll always take it with me that we we played an option team. Capital was running the option at that point in time, and we rushed for over 300 yards that game. And we, you know, Teddy, I don't know, I would never label this necessarily a spread, but we were kind of like a multiple pro offense. It was, was pretty balanced overall at the end of the day. But in that game, as you recall, I think we only threw the ball five times. We actually uh, had more rushing attempts than an option team and uh, outrushed them by quite a bit. I'll always carry that one with me. That was kind of a little feather in our cap that uh, that I enjoyed. Yeah, we, uh, we we kind of got into personnel in that game that allowed us to just keep running the football, and we were just always one step ahead of the adjustment that was being made to stop us. And, uh, you know, with that, with that back then we were doing a lot of zone read option that uh, is kind of in vogue now that, you know, we still use here at St. Thomas. But, you know, we were getting out on the perimeter on zone read option, and, kind of some old school bone sets and T sets. And it was, uh, you know, we did a lot of power read and counter read and, you know, stuff that is uh, staples now that, uh, you know, back then it was kind of, you know, and, and again, it's because like you were talking about, we had those injuries at quarterback. And when you're just not consistent back there, it's hard to, you know, be really good at throwing the football, you know, especially in like a five-step game. And, you know, we were pretty effective when, in all our quick game stuff, but, um you know, you have to you have to always take advantage of your personnel, number one, and then you have to take advantage of your personnel within the situation you're in, I think, uh, most importantly. So, you know, our, we were going to find a way to run the football, and uh, so we were looking every week for different ways to do it. And it was, you know, th- at the time, I believe it was a lot of Baylor stuff, a lot of the, the TCU, the TCU kind of, yeah, the spread run game, but trying to, you know, we had three really good tight ends, so we were trying to, you know, do that spread run game out of like 13 personnel. So it, it gave us some pretty effective formation that we actually, you know, we actually still utilize down here. And I've taken with me kind of every spot that I've been after that. But, you know, after that year at BW, uh, my first college head coach, Chris Creighton, he got the head coaching job at Eastern Michigan. And, uh, you know, he gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to come and be the offensive line GA. And I didn't necessarily want to be a grad assistant again. You know, I was making pretty good money and we had a good thing going at BW, but, uh, you know, we talked and talked and it was, I knew that was the right decision to make was to go up there and was there for two seasons as we got that program flipped around, you know, those were uh, two rough seasons, but you know, that's probably one of the bigger turnaround stories in college football over the last few years is what they've been able to do at Eastern Michigan, taking over one of the historically bad programs and making it, you know, a consistent winner and, uh, you know, bowl eligible three out of the last four years or gone to a bowl game three out of the last four years. So really, really proud of that. And, you know, at that point in time, after my second year there, Bill had already been the head coach at NDC for a year. You know, Adam had left NDC 
uh, to become an athletic director, and then Bill had taken over, and, you know, I turned him down once, and then, you know, it just so happened I was finishing my master's, I was done with my master's, and uh, he called me and said, hey, let's, you know, let's get it together again, and, and, and let's go, so I went back to NDC, was only there for about six months, and, you know, Eric Rayburn, who was my second coach at Wabash, and who was Bill's position coach at uh, Mount Union, you know, he got the job at Savannah State, you know, again, another historically kind of bad football program, at least when you look at the win-loss record. We went down there together, and we flipped things around there. We got, uh, we got down there, and in the first season, you know, we won more games in that first season than I think they did in the previous 10 years combined, and then uh, did a lot of really good stuff there, getting that program turned around. And uh, most importantly, we fixed – we got off APR uh, penalty in one year there. You know, didn't really have a ton of opportunities to have spring ball while we were there or anything due to some NCAA – penalties from before we got there, but we made the most of it and left that place, uh, you know, kind of better than we found it. And, uh, you know, they obviously moved down to division two, but they had a good year this year. Uh, they won seven games and, uh, you know, just kind of a, a continuation and building on the foundation. You know, we, we left that place in a, in a great spot, whether they stayed division one this past year or went division two, they were going to have a big year just because we built that program. Right. And, but, you know, another guy who was, you know, re, you know that kind of takes us to present day. Dave Armstrong got the president job down here at St. Thomas, and Dave was the vice president at Notre Dame College when we when uh, that program was started. And he was kind of the one who started football there. And uh, you know, he called Bill, and uh, I'll never forget Bill kind of blowing into my office one day before the season at Savannah State, and he was like, "Hey, Armstrong, uh, you know, he's he's the president at uh, St. Thomas down in Florida now. They don't have football. I think he's going to get it going." And uh, you know, they talked a little bit more and. During our bye week that season, they announced that Bill was going to be the, be the new head football coach. And immediately after the season, uh, you know, myself, Bill, and uh, another guy, Nate Scola, uh, who actually recently just became the defensive coordinator of uh, Bowdoin uh, College up in Maine, uh, back with another Wabash guy. Uh, but, you know, the three of us came down here. Uh, we were in every, you know, we got down here in the first week of December. We had two weeks to get on the road. We got into every high school in Dade, Broward, and West Palm. You know, in the month of January, he had 350 visits, signed over 100 guys on signing day. And, uh, you know, we came in, we, over the next few months, got everything rolling here and came into camp on August 4th of this year with 215 kids. And uh, we went four and six in year one. And there's a couple games that kind of squeaked away from us. We, you know, kind of would have, could have, should have been six and four, seven and three with a team basically of, uh, of all freshmen. You know, we had uh, a good amount of success uh, in, in this first year, and uh, we're, we're really excited about where we're at now and where we're moving forward to, you know, kind of a, a wrench that everyone's had thrown in their plans right now with this deal like you and I were talking before we started the show. Uh, you know, so we're all kind of on a, a little bit of a coaching sabbatical, so to speak, but uh, it doesn't mean we can't get better in one way, shape, or form. So it, uh, that's kind of the, the history of me and where I'm at now, and it's, it, it's, been, a, it's been a good ride, man. <laughs> well, there's there's a few things. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a few things that stick out. And, you know, I want to point out, number one, I think you've done an excellent job in utilizing your network. And uh, you're just somebody, I, I don't know that Tony Niemeyer has an enemy. You're somebody who's stayed close to you. You've made moves. You haven't burned bridges. Uh, I think people hold you in, in high regard. So that's an important part of it. Your, your work ethic, um, your 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 willingness to do whatever you need to do to stay in this profession, and you know, I mean, 
I remember for some time there, because you were working so hard to help us get recruiting going, that uh, you were sleeping in your office for probably about a week. Um, you'd be the first guy I'd see at, at the beginning of the day and, and the last guy there at the end of the day and, um, you know, not leave. But, but you know, just that willingness to, you know, you figured it out and got settled in. But in the meantime, nothing was going to get in the way of you getting the job done. And, 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 the, and then the last one, you know, wearing a lot of hats. I mean, just getting to know you personally, you're kind of a renaissance man and the different things you're into. And, and I can tell anybody out there, if, if there's a coach to go eat with, it is, is Tony Niemeyer. I mean, he is, he is a connoisseur. And, and then even, you know, you go to the fast food places, like he knows what the hidden menu items are, which I didn't even know there were those things till I started hanging out with him. So, but I think those, those three things really kind of encapsulate who you are as a coach and have, have helped you, you know, there's young coaches listening. I think those things have really helped you along the way The, the just, you know, networking very well, working hard and being willing to do whatever job is necessary. Cause as you've said, pretty much everywhere you've been, you had to wear multiple hats. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, num- number one, in terms of, you know, the, the no enemies thing, I think it's really important that, you know, we're all in this thing together at the end of the day, obviously, you know, I've had to go against some of my buddies in games and everything. When we're playing, I'm, I'm playing to win. But most importantly, you know, I think we're all in this thing together at the end of the day and to, and to help each other out. And to, you know, to young coaches, I think the, the number one thing that I think you have to do, and this is something that was instilled in me at a young age, you know, growing up in a family business um, that was really, really successful, but it was you have to find a way to make yourself irreplaceable. And if that means that you're going to be the first guy in and the last guy out, you know, there, there is some – there's some – some real importance to that, but you got to remember it's what you do during those, those times of the day, you have to be, you have to find a way to be productive and make yourself invaluable in what you do. And so it's not just wearing a bunch of hats, but you got to find a way to be good and effective at wearing a bunch of different hats. That's what I would tell guys. Um, You know, so if if there's one thing that you know, you're really good at on top, you know, you have your normal duties. Let's say you're an offensive line coach. And if there's like one thing that you're really good at, and it's data, you know, creating uh, content for your, for your team's, you know, social media platform. Like if that's your expertise off of that, hang your head on that, man. And uh, don't try to do a hundred different things, you know, because if, if you can't be productive at all those things, there's no reason to do it. But, you know, so I, I think the one thing I was always really good at and, and still kind of pride myself on is I find that, you know, I, I know what I'm really good at now. And there's certain things that I'm going to bring to the table that, that I can do and continue to be productive in all of them. You know, so it's, uh, that that's what I would, you know, encourage young coaches, number one, figure out what you're really good at out, you know, outside of the position you're going to coach and things like that and make that kind of your calling card. And, you know, and then when you talk about networking, I've been really, really fortunate. Number one, I I think picking the college where I was going to go to, I went to, you know, a a place that had a strong tradition on the field and off the field. And uh, coach Creighton was a phenomenal coach as a, as a young guy playing football. And uh, he kind of carried on, you know, I'm really lucky that I've played. I've both. I've uh, I've worked for both coaches that I played for in college, and they have great connections too. But you know, so when I when I left to go work at Eastern Michigan, you got to look at on that staff there. We had uh, Kalen DeBoer, who is now the head coach of Fresno State, was most recently the offensive coordinator at Indiana University, and they had you know their best season in forever this past year. Ryan Grubb was on that staff, who is uh, he's now the offensive coordinator at Fresno State. He's been the old coordinator there for the last couple of years. Aaron Keene, who was at you know Minnesota Mankato before he came to us at Eastern, and he, you know he, won, he I think he lost one you know two games in two years as a head coach there. 
two deep playoff runs, and now he's the head coach at Washington University, St. Louis. Ron McKeefrey was an excellent strength and conditioning guy. He's kind of known throughout the industry. He's back, uh, he's back in the, the college strength game at Fresno State. But I was really fortunate to be around a lot of great coaches there, and, and you know, at, B, at BW as well, and in every place that I've been lucky enough to coach. I think you know, you're, you're net, you have to continue to network outside of that, but you have to network with the guys you work with first. You know, and those guys aren't going to want to put their name on you if you weren't a worker for them. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's a, that's the thing. Like you can be a guy who you know shakes hands with a million different people at the convention and hands your business card out, or you can have really solid, you know, and that's, that is what it is, but you can have incredibly solid connections with the guys that you work with on a day-to-day basis. And those connections are the ones that are going to go to work for you. You know, I, cause I, you know, for me, I know right now, it's not that I, I don't worry about if Kalen DeBoer is going to offer me a job at Fresno state, you know, I, there's so many variations, variations out there that, dictate you know you can't get hung up on that as a young coach you what what you should uh what should be more important to you is if if i send kaylin a text and say hey kaylin i'm interviewing at this at this place you're on my you know you're on my you're on my resume as a reference and i know that you know this guy can you give him a call i know that kaylin's going to text me back and say yeah i can at least text that guy you know i think that's the most important thing is is you build your network it's not just you know the the amount of people that you know but it's the quality of the relationship that you have with that person and, you know, so for me, um, you know, obviously a lot of those, and the same with like Coach Creighton, Coach Raver, and all these kind of guys that I've been really fortunate to work with, Keith, you know, you as well. I know if I'm, if I'm going to go someplace and talk to someone and you know them, I can send you a text and within five minutes you're going to text me back saying, yeah, I got in touch with them. That's just kind of how it is. But the only reason you're willing to do that is because you know that I'm not going to screw you over in a, you know, in a, in a standpoint of like, I'm not going to go there and if you put your name behind me, I'm not going to go in there and screw it up. You know what I mean? That's that's what you have to look at in terms of building your network. I think so many people are worried about meeting people and and this and that, but it's you know if if you if you don't have a quality relationship or that person can't trust you, like you know I tell guys all the time, if I truly know someone and they've done, either done work for me or I know someone who they work for that stands behind them, then I'm going to give them a reference no matter what, just because I know that they're going to go out and do the right thing. So being known for doing the right thing and working hard is extremely important rather than just being known. You know, I think that's, uh, that's really important. And that's, I mean, I kind of took that approach when I was 22 years old and just getting into coaching and I'm, you know, I'm 33 now and uh, I've had a lot of different experiences and I'm still the same way. You know, I tell our, for me, it's really important that, you know, when I ask one of our GAs to do something, they know that I've done that. You know, and it's it's really important. You know, it's not just me being a full time coach and asking them to do something. They know that I've I've done that. So when I tell them they, you got to make sure, you know, because I kind of oversee equipment now. When our when our equipment guy, when I get on him, I'm like, hey man, you got to make sure that you know we got to have a quick turnaround on this, this, and that. Like, he knows I've done that before. It's coming from a standpoint of I'm telling you to do it, not because you have to do it or whatever. I'm trying to like have dominance over you. It's because it needs to get done. I've had to do it before. Let me help you. Let me help you do it. You know, I think that's important. And uh, the one guy who I think has exemplified that a lot to me was uh, Ryan Grubb. And like you said, you know, Ryan is now the OC at Fresno State. But you know, anything that Ryan had me do as a GA while I was at Eastern Michigan, I think you know I never had an issue with it because I knew that he had done it before. Um, you know, he was never asking me to do anything that he hadn't done, and he was always great about you know. If he, if he asked me to run a certain report or 
kind of create a presentation for something that we were doing, if it was done right, he did a really good job of showing all these other coaches that I did this, you know, and, and I'm, the, I try to be the same way now with our guys. And one of those guys does something great. I let everybody know that they did it. I, you know, it's not like I'm running it up the flagpole and saying, Hey, I, this is something I came up with. No, I, you know, I may have consulted with him, but he executed it. And I think that's really important for us as full-time coaches too, that you, know, you got to develop the young guys underneath you because at some point in time, those young guys are, you know, you're going to hopefully be sending them off to a full-time job, or maybe you're hiring them for a full-time job, you know, and, so you have to you have to continue to grow your network outside of where you're at, but you have to foster that you know that strong network with the, with the people that you work with every day. And I think that uh, you know that kind of comes back tenfold in the end. Yeah. Well, I know in in getting together with you, and we did have I think six of those fifteen hour days in interviewing and Coach Snell. If if uh, anybody knows him, Coach Snell is very thorough and detailed and and so it covered everything um we knew everything about you tony by the end of that no 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 kidding and you know the challenge for you and i once we got together was to to figure out where we were going to take that particular team because there were there were a lot of guys who graduated there's a a lot of uh, guys new on the offensive line as i said before some new quarterbacks i think we had some running backs with experience coming back but um you know there's a lot of challenges there and the the you know, the thing that made it work, I know from my standpoint is, you know, we took things, the direction, as you said, things that look like Baylor or TCU. And, you know, the best part for me is that particular year, we didn't have to change any terminology. We didn't add anything. We, by the end of the year, were taking things away after, you know, we had installed in in August to figure out what we were going to be. But we developed the identity within a a system that was very fluid. And I think when I introduced it to you, I said, you know, we we look at this as a continuum. What do we need to be? Because we could be on this, you you know, far side over here where we have to run the ball and maybe use bigger guys. Or we could be on this far side over here where we could be empty or we could be anywhere in between and flexible enough to utilize personnel, you know, however we might have to over the course of the season. And as I said, we had three quarterbacks similar in a lot of ways. They could all do the zone read game, some, some a little bit better at drop back, some better on the move. And we were able to accommodate all those guys and get things done. And, you know, I look back at it now and, and coach Snell wanted to, to run the football a ton, which we did. And, and, you know, we did a pretty good job at mostly because we didn't have long guys. I want to say, our three interior guys were all under six foot and our tackles might've been six, one or, or six, two. This was, you know, even for division three, a pretty small line. Yeah, we had, you know, if you look at it, we had the only guy who really had kind of prototypical length for us was cookie. And he got hurt with uh, a few games left to go. We had a lot of guys who were, uh, had great feet were, you know, really thickly built. So they had some strength and power to them. You know, on the interior, our interior three guys were really strong that year. And, you know, but I, I think uh, there's, you know, different kinds of length and leverage. You can play with length and you have, you know, some short arms and this and that. And it's all about, you know, for me, I guess, when you get into the, the theory of sound offensive line play, you know, and it has to translate, it has to be able to translate to every guy. Because let's say we had, you know, we had Jason Cook who had, you know, kind of some, he, he had a prototypical build. You're talking about a guy who was, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 315 pounds, had great feet. He was incredibly strong. You know, and then if you look at like, you know, Tim Pallet had great length and size, but Tim also had had, you know, multiple knee operations on each knee, you know, so we, we had, we, we, I wouldn't say we were ragtag, but we had a lot of guys who had great feet. They were thickly built. 
and they were incredibly coachable and hard workers. But, you know, number one for me, everything starts with the feet. And to this day still, I know you probably heard me barking. It's always feet, feet, and hands. You know, your feet take your hands where they need to go. If you're trying to reach for someone, it's not going to work. We do everything that we do is built from the ground up. You know, it's uh, kind of the, you know, the, the, if you're looking at you as a tree, you know, your feet are the root. Your feet, the feet are your root system, and, and that's where everything starts, including with our off-season program. You know, for us, we're doing everything to develop that lower half in terms of, you know, all your squats and all the variations, your cleans and all the variations, and doing that both single and double-legged, you know. So everything that we do with two legs, two feet in the ground, we also do with one foot in the ground. You know, and I, and I think that's how you have to build it in your offseason to translate it to what you do on the field. Some of the, the technique here, and, you know, I mean, we used it for certain things. I think by the end of the year, we we primarily were utilizing, you know, we were a lot of the zone read, as you mentioned, a lot of power read. And I know we would still go with a little, depending who we were seeing. There were, there were teams we didn't try to necessarily man up on everybody, but a little bit of, of just straight power and, and counter run game as well. Yeah, so I, I think for me, everything for us that year and everything to this day for me still starts with inside zone. We're tight zone team. So I'm, I'm on the board right now just kind of making sure I kind of progress this as we go. But when you look at what we're doing, we are either in the pistol or we're offset. When, when, we're, in a, when we're in a pistol, we are one yard behind the quarterback. When we're offset in that sidecar, we are, you know, the running back is straddling the inside leg of the backside tackle, you know, when it comes to our zone run stuff. And that's important for us because we want him to line up in that width all the time because we ask that running back to do a bunch of different things. And based on the play, we don't want to give away on the play by alignment, you know. So he, he's always going to be consistently aligned on that, on that width. So, but his aiming point, we are the play side leg of the center. That's his aiming point. So he's, what, however we get there, whatever footwork we take, whether in the sidecar or we're in the pistol, he's getting downhill on that aiming point, the square shoulders. Okay. And so for us up front, our footwork has to mimic that. So, you know, I think for me, when we get at the, the most important thing that we do, again, it's all feet, but I, I've heard a couple of coaches talk about this too, is we identify the front every single rep whether we're in pass protection, whatever whatever play we're running, does not matter. And the way we do that is we count the down linemen and we count the backers in the box. So whether, you know, we got rid of over, under, all that kind of terminology. So if there's four down linemen and two linebackers, we're a 4-2. And, uh, you know, I think I brought that with me when we were at uh, BW. We had a, kind of a, you know, you guys had a, a pretty, uh, it was a really in-depth front naming system but it just it, it took a lot, you know, and it takes away from tempo and this and that and all these kind of things that we didn't necessarily need to, you know, focus on. So we get up with a 4-2, all right, and we're running inside zone. What's the number one thing? We know that our five has to block the five most dangerous. We're cutting the widest guy loose on the backside, okay? So within that, within those uh, blocking those five guys, we want to have two vertical double teams, and, and we want to talk vertical displacement because this is, this is a, a tight zone. You know, we can get into, you know, we're running a wide zone, different play. You know, your outside zone, that's a different play for us. Where we're not getting vertical double teams. Uh, but on, on our inside zone play, which is the basis for us, we're going to get uh, vertical double teams. So the way, we, the way we find the double teams is we go down the line. We start with the play side tackle. And if he's, you know, so he's obviously covered by the DN, let's say. If the adjacent offensive lineman is covered, that means he's solo blocked up. So 
right here, just kind of for uh, listener reference, we got a 4-2. We're going inside zone, or, you know, tight zone to the right, and we got a three technique on the right and a two-eye on the backside. So our right tackle is covered, and then our right guard is covered. So we know off the jump that right tackle is man on the D end. Okay, and this, we're just going to set the structure of this right here. So going back down the line, my right guard is covered. The center is uncovered. So if the adjacent guy next to you is uncovered, we're working together. Our first double team goes to the first inside linebacker in the box, which, you know, it should be pretty standard, I believe. You know, and then so now we go back down the line. Left guard is covered. So, and then the left tackle is uncovered to the play side. So those two are going to work together, working that backside two out of the backside inside backer. And we're going to read the backside DN, or we're going to block him with someone else, you know. So that's kind of the basic structure of our of our tight zone, you know. And, and I think when you look at the technique, when we're, when we're solo blocking a guy, again, starting with the feet. So we're going to be in a great stance, number one. Uh, we talk, You know, I, I've kind of moved to the uh, – you know, I, I think one of the great things about this stuff, like what you do, Keith, and stuff that people like what Charles Bentley have brought to us is kind of a, you know, a visual and a way to teach certain cues and things like that. And I don't teach everything the way they do, just like I wouldn't expect anyone to teach everything, everything the way I do. But there's certain things and there's a standardized deal now out there. So, we, you know, we do a lot of our stance cues from them. I think that's one of the things they do best is uh, getting, getting you in a proper stance. I, I've really, really... Uh, gotten to that with a lot of their coaching cues. So we everything for us starts with a great stance, and then it comes with the feet. Now, we have to block the worst-case scenario every time. So once we figure out who we're blocking, we got to block that guy based off the worst-case scenario. So if I'm running tight zone at that guy, worst-case scenario is that he's going to spike inside on me uh, and, and, and cross my face into the B-gap. So we're going to take, you know, depending on where that guy's at, if, he, if he's tight on us, it's just a quick flat step at him. And to get there, we're driving off. To move right, you're driving off your left instep. To move left, you're driving off your right instep. So for us, that first step is incredibly important. We're going to drive off that left step, keep a heavy inside hand, and then as soon as that right foot gets in the ground, now that we're going to wedge off of that and drive our backside knee into the crotch of that guy on contact. And I don't, I don't care about getting to the play side number as much as I want to be down the middle on that guy and displace him out of the box. Okay, that's what I'm, that's what I'm working for. Now it's a, now that we go down to the right guard, he's covered play side. He's going to block that guy the exact same way. Worst case scenario for him is someone crosses his face, but he's got his buddy coming with him. With, with we always have him in zone blocking. That right guard's got the center coming with him. So, but that right guard can be extremely aggressive, and uh, because he's got help with him, so he's going to block like he doesn't have help. And if that guy crosses his face, he's just going to work through that guy vertically up to the backer, and the center will take it over. Same thing for the backside guy. But really for us, you know, in terms of that, that's the scheme to it. There's, you know, all of our technique in terms of how we want our hands, elbows tight, all that kind of stuff. We can get into that a little more later if we want to. But kind of just when we talk inside zone, that's our tight zone. I and mean, that's how we ran it, uh, you know, when I was with you. I think the one thing, the best thing that we did there is we married up the footwork of the offensive lineman to match the footwork and the aiming point of the running back. And I think that's so important. You know, you can't run tight zone with running back getting downhill in your offensive line and doing outside zone footwork, you know. Um, and, you, you you know, you can tell them a little bit about that in terms of what we got, you know, kind of what we were getting into when I first got there. But I think that's the number one thing we did is we matched all of our footwork up and everything that we were doing 
which is really important. It's, it's, it's really important to the success of your so run game. wrap things up, and we'll, we will. We'll take you up on that. We'll get you on some video here and, and uh, go into this in more depth and detail with that and maybe talk about some of those other schemes that we've done and you continue to do. But you know the, the final question I like to ask is, all the things you do as a coach, what's really the one thing that gives your players the winning edge? You know, I, I think for me, what our, what our players can be really confident in is that they're going to get my best every day. And that, that may be cliche in saying that, but we, we have a, a pack that we – I've done this for a long time, uh, and this has always kind of been my pack with the guys, is that so long as you bring your best effort every day, I don't care if you're last on the depth chart or first on the depth chart. If you bring the energy and you work that day, you're going to get my best in order to make you 1% better. And I think our guys – you know, they believe in that, and so they can be confident in what we're doing. I think the number one thing that you have to do as a coach is instill confidence in your guys. And, you know, how, however you do that, be it, you know, you know, it's all a combination of coaching up their technique and coaching up the scheme and their knowledge of it. But you have to give your guys confidence. If they're not confident, they're not going to be successful in anything that they do. So if they're confident that every single day they're going to come in and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them better, and they can come in and, and not worry about any of that. And they can come in and just focus on the work, you know. And I, I think for us, that's the number one thing is that we're going to instill and inspire confidence in our guys based on what we do. And we're here for them and every, everything that we do, um, you know. But th- I think for me, that's like, the, you know, that, that outdoes scheme. That outdoes everything is that our, our guys are confident in us as coaches and they're confident in each other and, and what they're able to do on a personal level. And I think they found that out this year. Again, you know, we're in a different circumstance than most people in terms of, I started all five freshmen this year. We, I, there were eight total guys that played for me up front. Every single one of them was a freshman, you know, and uh, in order for a freshman to be able to go out and play against the 22, 23 year old guy across from them, they get, they got to be confident, you know, and they, there's other things that go into play, but the number one thing they got to do is have confidence. So we're going to make sure that our guys are confident in, in what we're asking them to do and what their abilities are so that we can go out and play fast and execute on the field. Well, Tony, how can our coaches get in touch with you or follow up with you? Well, number one, they can ask me to get my cell phone number from you at any point in time. I'm, I'm always out there, you know, but I'm on Twitter as uh, T Niemeyer. It's hard to spell, but that's T N E Y M E I Y E R. Typically, if you follow me in your co in your coach, I'm always going to follow you back. If for whatever reason, I don't just, just at me real quick, and I'll make sure that happens. And any anytime I get a DM, I try to answer it, whether that be for recruiting purposes or you know coaching purposes, whatever that may be. Email is you know, if you go to stu.edu and you go to our football page, my email's on there, uh, my office number's on there. But uh, no, I'm always and, and then uh, I'm on Instagram too, Coach T five five seven three. But those those are the spots you can kind of find me rolling around on, and I'll, I'll always do my best to answer any questions or do what I can to help anybody out. Well, my friend, it was it was great to catch up with you, and I look forward to uh, doing the video version of this as well. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have to do some more of this, man. There's just too much to talk about on here. <laughs> exactly. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Check it out. All of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks, 
at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, you can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.